Initially, I was going to not do what I was going to do today. I was going to just try and pick up from the, what was happening in the nation. But I think as I speak, I'm going to weave that into my talk because um, what's happening in our nation is tragic. Um, I wish we could say that racism was something of the past, but it's rearing its ugly head once again. Um, or it's been there and it's just been undercover and now it's, the band-aids have been removed and everything's removed and it's they feel like they have permission to do these things and uh, it's terrible. And so we, we just want to say up from the outset, we, do not, we, we deplore racism in all its forms. Um, it's terrible. Uh, Linda and I, in terms of our own gro growing up in a racist country, we, it's a terrible thing. And we need to fight against it. And, and fighting against it demands sometimes that we pray, but it demands sometimes that we make another friend across a color line. So we've got two Whitneys here today. Can you realize? We had twins, the Whitneys. <laughs> now, I think that's important. We, we, we used to have a singer song in South Africa called Another Friend in Another City. Because actually, the color was almost like another city. It was it's another people group. And it's important that we make some friends across lines rather than just merely pray. And part of us going to another church this morning was just say, we want to stand with you. We want to be friends. We're brothers and sisters uh, in, in what God is doing. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I, we, we can do, a, do something false. We don't want to be false. We want to be real out of what God is doing. We want to make sure that we, are in, we have a spirit of reconciliation. So is that okay? Um, so there we go. So we're in this series on Jesus, the eternal Son. And uh, two weeks ago, Brian spoke on the incarnation, uh, which was genius and beautiful and wonderful. Last week, I, I picked up on that and spoke about our response to that in terms of that as Jesus was sent, so we are sent into the world. And how was Jesus sent? And it was more about his character rather than about all the functions that he was going to do, that we are called to do the same thing. We are called to enter our world in humility, with a desire to serve, with grace and mercy and kindness and wisdom and love, those type of things. So today, we're going to be a little more theo theology again, a little bit, but what does the incarnation mean to us as believers in terms of our salvation, in terms of our ongoing life in Christ, in terms of our eternal life in Christ? We're going to speak a little bit around that. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, and try and make a little practical part of it. Uh, I'm going to deal with the king and the prophet very briefly and then spend a little more time on the priest. Is that okay? So here we go. Um, if we don't see the results that we're going to talk about this morning, the incarnation actually in some ways is just this something. I mean, it's an important something, but it has ramifications. And it, don't, it has ramifications to our life in God. Never mind the fact that we also call to go into our world. It has ramifications to our salvation. It has ramifications to our ongoing life in God where God protects us, etc. And if we see this, it will help us. It will help us understand the incarnation a whole bunch more. So I'm going to read from Deuteronomy. We're going to look first at Jesus as prophet. And we're going to start in Deuteronomy, which you might think is a strange place to start on Jesus, but Jesus was, has been around from before time. So we're going to Deuteronomy 18, and we're going to read from verse 15. This is now Moses 
instructing the people in the covenants and the ways of God before they cross over the river into, into the promised land, before the Lord takes him home and he hands over leadership to Joshua. So he's now reminding them of everything that God has done. And he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It's, it is to him you shall listen. And that's a very important little phrase in this text. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. There's this thing. Moses going as someone else is coming. Now, there's, a, there's a, a kind of an immediate response to that prophetic word, maybe through Joshua and the ongoing. But there's a prophetic word to this about Jesus. The thing that I want us to see immediately is this, is that a prophet is always appointed by God. There, when we become self-proclaimed prophets, there's something bizarre and wrong with that. A prophetic ministry is something that God anoints. And these, the prophets of old, the prophets of the New Testament are people that God has anointed. And their role is to be God's representative to the people. That's an important point. A prophet is to be God's representative to the people. Because you can prophesy doesn't mean you're a prophet. I can prophesy, but I'm a pastor. I'm not a prophet. But when God gifts certain to be prophets, and they are to be his representatives to the people. They are to be his messengers to the people, and they come to interpret his will. They pick up the heart of God and they make it plain for people to understand this is what God requires of you. Now today we still have prophets and under that we still have the prophetic ministry. We still have people that can prophesy that help us and we have the scriptures that come to help us interpret God's will for the way that we should live. So in some way prophets are like, they almost like teachers. They come and instruct us in the ways of God, to bring God's word to us on whatever that might be. Um, so when we see Jesus coming, Jesus comes as a prophet. In, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3, and we won't read it, we're going to read a lot of Hebrews this, this afternoon. But in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the angels because remember the angels were also messengers from God except they weren't prophets they didn't come to interpret God's will they merely came to give a message but prophets came to give a message and interpret God's purposes God's desires God's ways for the people in the moment and now Jesus comes and the writer says Jesus is greater than Moses he's in the likeness of Moses but he's greater than Moses you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Have you remember that story? In um, Matthew 17, Jesus takes three of his disciples up on the top of the mountain and Jesus is transfigured in glory and there standing with him is Moses and Elijah. And um, Peter gets very excited. He just wants to stay on the mountain. He just wants to be in the glory. And then the glory disappears and they've got to go back down the mountain. But 
There's this blinding light, and then this voice from heaven speaks. This is my son. What does it say? Listen to him. In Luke 4, when he comes out of the waters of baptism, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. But in this one, the key thing is listen to him. The prophetic thing way back in Deuteronomy is I will raise up one just like Moses when he comes. Listen to him. The Great Commission is going to all the world, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. We're going to listen to Jesus. And in the spirit of us, in the last, last Sunday, and I know at our home where we did a lot speaking about what it means to think through things. We have to learn to think. If we proclaim Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, all those things, we seriously have to think through the ramifications of that. What does that mean? Or is it just nice phraseology for a song? You are Lord. You are wonderful. But if we think through the meaning, if we declare Jesus to be Lord, that has ramifications to our life. And you have to think that through. No one can force it upon you. You have to think it through and adjust your life accordingly as you ponder these things of God. So Jesus, and I'm, I'm going, I'm doing this one very briefly. Jesus is God, but he comes as a human to give us a way of doing things that comes from God and he shows us God's will, how it's meant to be lived out. What does it mean to be human? He's reminding us, what does it mean to be human? In the garden, they, they were human. They had all this thing and then sin ruptured all of that. And Jesus comes. That's why the incarnation is important as he comes to live as a human to bring a word from God. This is my will. This is what life looks like. This is what it means to be human. Important. It's, not, it's just not a, a voice speaking out of a cloud, which has happened in, from time to time. This is Jesus entering our world as a man to reveal God's will, God's purposes for humanity, and he teaches us this is what it looks like. And one of those things in the light of what we're going through our nation is that Jesus teaches us and demonstrates to us and tells stories about it. Pastor Gene this morning preached from the, the Good Samaritan. He teaches us and shows us and instructs us what it means to love our neighbor. And then goes on to tell us, all well, who is our neighbor? And he demonstrates that and shows that. But he also, actually more important, not more important, but of equal importance, he says, I want to teach you what it is also to love your enemy. So if God just spoke from the mountain, love your neighbor, love your enemy, that's one thing. But Jesus comes, not only proclaims it, but lives it, demonstrates it dies for it, but he says, this is what it looks like. And so as we learn to be disciples of Jesus, we are learning to pick that up so that we too can live in our world to love our neighbor and love our enemy and interact with our world as Jesus did. So just a, this is a, a little thing in between. I'm, I, I've been praying for a while about a project I want to do. And um, came out, I just place, I want to learn, find creativity to interact with people across different barriers that I don't normally interact with. 
And so I have, um, I'm going to do a project called This Is My Neighbor. It's going to be a photographic project with writing. I'm going to ask some people for help. I've registered the, the website, the URLs. There's an Instagram account set up for it. Um, and I want, to, I want to find a way to interact with people by going to speak to them, maybe take some photos, write their story down, and, and try and give some dignity. And I want to talk to people that, that are a different color from me. I want to talk to people who are a different religion from me. I want to talk to people who have different sex, uh, different gender to me. I want that view sexuality different. I want to speak to the homeless, the immigrant. I want to speak to refugees. I want to speak to those that came to LA because they had a dream of being actors and now they're waiters and waitresses. Uh, they become prostitutes. I want to speak, I want to runaway kids, single moms, you name it. I want to somehow interact with those people, document something. Uh, one of my friends is on the board of Union, Re Union Rescue Mission and to see if it, some of that might somehow be translated to doing something. It's not a money-making thing. This is a somehow to interact across a line in a way that I know that I can do with myself. And I'm going to ask for you for some of your help because I want to learn to love my neighbor, not because that's what I do, but I actually want to go interact with people. And um, I'm doing it on a film camera. I bought an old Roloflex-looking type camera. So it makes it interesting because everyone comes with cell phones and digital. I'm doing it on a film that hopefully will create a place to have conversation and lead to something. It might all fail horribly, but I'm going to give it a try because I feel like it's important. And out of that, just might, might be able to touch someone's life with the love of Jesus. Would you be praying for that? I've got no, there's no time frame. I'm not going to be done next week. It's just something I've approached Sammy's to, for uh, I'm writing, they've asked for a letter to maybe pay that they do all my processing and developing for me. It's a, there's a whole little thing happening. But it's, the purpose is actually I want to learn what it means to love my neighbor. But more important, I want to learn who is my neighbor and how to speak to my neighbor. Is that all right? So if you could pray for that, that would be wonderful. So Christ the prophet came to teach us. He came to demonstrate. He came to show us the life and the will and the love of God and how it meant to interact with our world. But Christ also came as, Christ is also the king. We often, we, we proclaim Jesus is Lord. Um, have any of you proclaimed that in the last month? If you have, have you taken stock of what it means to proclaim that and how to live that out? It's kind of a little more difficult. I think it's important as when Brian spoke on the Trinity, we understand that the Trinity has been before anything else was. And then that God rules and reigns in his triune being over everything. So Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, as the son of God, rules and reigns over everything. Do we believe that? Everything hold, he holds everything together. Everything was created through him, by him, for him, and he holds all things together. Every planet, every black hole, every space between things, he is Lord of everything. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. But we need to recognize it. Jesus is also Lord and King over those who have come to the place of salvation. And that's a little different. Because this is one is a, I am the king. This one is, 
These are choosing to be my subjects and have responded to my love and responded to my call. And there's a different understanding of what it means for Jesus to be king and for us to be those under his rule and reign in a way that doesn't apply to those outside of the salvation kingdom. All right? We have to see those two different ways. Jesus is Lord, yes. He makes rain and he just falls on everybody and the sun comes up. It's for everybody. But there is something about those who are sons and daughters of the kingdom that have a relationship with the king that is very, very different. There's a love, there's an affection, there's a protection, there's a whatever that comes from that king over his subjects for those who have chosen to live under his rule. And that doesn't mean I'm just because I'm Christian in name. That means I'm, I'm, I've chosen to hand my life over to another and asked him to take my heart, to take my life and make it his own and shape me and mold me into his image. That kingdom is, is where, where it says that he's the head of the church. You know, in Ephesians, Colossians, many places, Jesus is the head of the body. He's head of the church. That's a relationship that's different from him, his general kingship. And we need, to, we need to see what that means for us. We are not a citizen of that kingdom merely because we are human. We are a citizen of that kingdom because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That's the only way you can be part of that kingdom, is if you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And when he has done that, Jesus now rules over our lives. He helps us direct our lives. We ask for his help. We ask for his protection. We ask for his provision, because he does that as king over our lives. We've entrusted to him the rule of our lives. We're going to cover a lot of that more when we talk about, in our next series when we actually cover the kingdom of God. What does that look like? Is that a brief enough? All right. We're going to read. Are you all awake? It's hot. I can stop and we can continue next week. But I'd like to continue. All right. We turn to the book of Hebrews. It would, you know, I know we put the words up here, which is good. I would love it if you brought Bibles to our gatherings and learned to use your Bible and turn the pages and get the pages nice and dirty and finger marks and gooey and gummy because and, it's a sign it's been used. All right. I'm going to read a bit of scripture to you today and then just uh, some brief comments. But listen, because these are important and I'm going to start with the text that Aaron read. So we're reading from chapter 4. And I'm going to jump right through up to 12. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Don't you love that about this God of ours who became human so we can identify with him and he can identify with us? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. When we're struggling, we can go to Jesus because he understands he's been there. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. He's appointed by God, remember? Listen to this. To act on behalf of men in relation to God. Prophets were appointed by God, acted on behalf of God to men. Priests act on behalf of men to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes the honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do you remember Melchizedek way back in the Old Testament? King of Salem, king In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to turn to chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Because there's a bit of interplay with jumping back to Melchizedek here. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, the Levitical priesthood was Aaron and all those dudes, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses had nothing to say about priests. Because the priests came from what tribe? Levi. But this is another priesthood, another order. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Am I staying? I'm and it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made, such, were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, 
unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has, be, who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Are you all okay? Are you following? I'll jump to chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. I'm jumping to verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's a quote from the book of Leviticus. Are you still with me? Or are you bored? It's good to hear this. This is the word rather than me making up things, which I sometimes do. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Don't you like that? He appears before God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And just as is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Still with me? Anyone bored? Lost? It's beautiful stuff. Jumping into chapter 10. Read from 10 to 18, if that's all right. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I want you to see something here that's really important. I once saw it and it gripped my heart. It was this, every priest stands daily, has to keep doing this thing. But Jesus did it once for all, and then he sat down. Done. I love that. He sat down at the right hand of the God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And it carries on, and then we get into that beautiful why we should, the five let us's, you know? And two more verses. Therefore, chapter 12, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. In this life, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That was a lot of scripture. I justify it by Paul writing to Timothy, do not despise the public reading of the scriptures. So we've spoken a little bit about Christ as a prophet, Christ as a king, Christ as a priest. It's really important to understand this because if Christ is not a priest, if he did not come to identify with with us and stand as a human representing humanity before God, which was the role of the priest, then we would have no salvation. If he didn't come and offer up this one perfect sacrifice, which wasn't bulls but himself, if he hadn't done that as a human, as a priest on behalf of humanity, then we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. He had to come and do it. He had to do it as a human being standing with human beings on behalf of human beings like a priest was supposed to do before God about the affairs of men. Does that make sense? He couldn't do it just as a a voice, an angel floating, a, a, a spirit. He had to do it representing us as human, as humans. And he had to be, have been tempted like us in every way, but he, he overcame that because he was led by the Spirit. He trusted God. There was something. Remember, he was also, there was a God. He lived that perfect life. So it equipped him and qualified him to offer up as the perfect priest in the order of Melchizedek, not in the line of Levi and Aaron, in this perfect priesthood, in a perfect state, offer a perfect sacrifice once for all himself. Because The priests were imperfect and so were the sacrifices. Even though they got what looked like the most perfect lamb or the most perfect goat or the most perfect dove, none of them were perfect. But when he offered himself, remember John the Baptist, behold the 
Lamb of God. He was the perfect lamb without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Therefore, he became the perfect sacrifice offered once for all. It never had to be done again because a perfect priest offered a perfect sacrifice on behalf of all humanity. That is the gospel. Nothing less is the gospel. So we need this priest. He's important to help us be reconciled to God. He's the priest. He's the sacrifice, shed blood on earth for us before God. That whole process of shedding blood and that we call the uh, atonement. That's another whole bunch of lectures we want to do today. It's really important. But he does this to reconcile us to God. But he doesn't stop there. That text tells us, and we can read it in Romans 8, we can read it in 1 John chapter 2, we can read, whatever, is that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. He intercedes now for us. When he went to heaven, when he ascended, his priestly work is done. Remember it said the priests stand daily. But he, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God in that place of authority in the place of power, he sat down. It is finished. I have completed my priestly work on earth. Now I have a priestly role in heaven, which is to intercede on behalf of humanity before God. So when we mess up, anyone messed up this week? Anyone sinned this week? Anyone cussed this week? Anyone had bad thoughts? Anyone lusted? Whatever. When we have those moments... We don't have to once again go and offer sacrifices because the sacrifice has been offered. The veil has been torn in two. The perfect priest did that through his perfect sacrifice. And we can go boldly, Hebrews told us there, into the throne room of grace. To what? To obtain mercy. We can enter. Why? Because he has made a way for us. Not only he's introduced us to his dad and made his dad our dad. And we can go in and say, here we are, dad. We screwed up. We're so sorry. And he says, my blood has covered. Go sin no more. Be cleansed. Don't you think that's beautiful? If there's no perfect priesthood, then that makes no sense whatsoever. He's interceding for us. So that when you're struggling, there's someone who's praying for you. He's saying, see, Dad, my language now, okay? See, Dad, you see Whitney there and other Whitney? See, they, yeah, we for them. Just be with them, Lord. Holy Spirit, be, yeah. They, 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 no, they wash, they mind. And when you pray and you feel like your prayers are not going, no, the Lord's hearing those prayers. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf, listening to your prayers dispensing responses. I want to say this. Maybe you don't believe this, but I want to say this. God answers every single prayer we pray. It's just not often to our satisfaction. He, but he answers every single prayer. doesn't answer the way we want it, in the time we want it, how we want it. But everyone is heard and everyone is responded to. And often the word is, wait, 
Someone told me that this week, whoever it was. Wait, that's an answer. When your kids come to you and say, can I ask him? Wait, that's an answer. No is an answer. Yes is an answer. God responds. God hears. Jesus at the right hand is interceding. He's taking those things. It's important. But what qualifies him to do that is that he was a priest first on earth and won us the victory and won us salvation. Now he intercedes on our behalf. But the third role of a priest was to bless the people, to come out of the place of God and to bless the people. And Jesus loves to bless his people, to show favor upon his people, to pour out peace upon his people. But if he did not come in human form, if he did not go through incarnation, then none of that makes sense. And if there is no Jesus, and if we don't believe in Jesus, we just believe in a random God or a God, but we don't believe in Jesus and what he's done, then there is a big void that cannot be bridged. I think the gospel truly is quite logical. Maybe you don't think so. But for me, it's totally logical. It's got a flow chart. I like flow charts. It's a flow chart. It's totally logical. Is that all right? Jesus is a prophet. He speaks to humanity on behalf of God. He instructs us in the ways and the will, whatever, of God. And he came and demonstrated as well as a human. He's, because of what he's done, he's also the king. He's won victory. He rules and reigns over us. He guides us. He protects us. And he's the priest. On earth, he did his priesthood by serving at the altar, by offering the perfect sacrifice himself. His bloodshed. Now he's a perfect priest seated at the right hand of the Father. The altar has been done. He never has to stand in front of the altar ever again. It's done. He's sitting down at the right hand of the Father, place of authority to dispense grace and to dispense kindness and disp- all those things when we mess up because we've already entered into his kingdom and then he blesses his people. Isn't that exciting? Isn't the gospel just fantastic? Now, I'll close with this. You can say that's all wonderful. I, I need you in the spirit of what we, we've been talking about. Just the moment. We won't do this forever and ever. Just in this current season. Would you go and think about this? Go think and say, if this is true, what are the implications? What are the implications for my life? What does it mean for me? Do I need to adjust my life accordingly in the light of all these things? Or do I just carry on case, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be, and whatever happens, fantastic, and I'm a fatalist? Or do I need to adjust my life to him who has spoken and instructed and demonstrated and shown us, for him who's opened up the way and paid the price, for him who intercedes, for him who blesses, and for him who rules and guides us as king over our lives? There are are consequences and implications that you have to think through. I'm asking you, Please think them through. You don't have to. It's okay. But I'm asking you to.
Because then God will speak, and you will have to adjust your life accordingly, and you will have to live your life accordingly. And it won't be because Terry or the elders or anybody else told you to. It will be because God speaks to you and says, this is the way. Walk in it. Is that right? This sound a little heavy. I don't want it to be. But it's so beautiful. You see, if believers everywhere walk in this, then we begin to deal with some of the problems in our land. Because we will begin to live the life of love because we want to be like Jesus. We will speak words of acceptance and reconciliation love because we want to be like Jesus. When the, the person who's next to you, who, who's hating and, and whatever, asks you, you give an answer, no, that's my neighbor. Why? Because Jesus showed me. And Jesus taught me and Jesus demonstrated and when they say, well, how can you believe it? How can you struggle? Well, there's one that has done this for me. He lived it for me. And guess what? Even now, he's encouraging me and rooting for me from the right hand of God. And I feel his blessing every day. And when things are going wrong, I know that he rules over my life. I'm in his hands. He has me. Come on. Is that okay? Brian. Thank you, Terry. Um, one of the early, con the first controversies of the church, um, it took place very early um, when the Jews in one town, Antioch, had separated themselves off from the non-Jewish Christians. And Peter himself um, one of the great apostles took part in that separation where they would not dine. The non-Jews and the Jews who had come to Christ would not dine together, and Peter separated himself off, and others followed alongside. And when Paul came and he saw that, he challenged Peter, and he said, and the reason he challenged him was because it was not in step with the truth of the gospel, which is a powerful statement. This separation of those people along those lines was something that was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Um, I mean, I hope that's been evident from everything we've been teaching over the past long, long time. Um, we've spoken of the church as something where it is a body brought together by God to solve the problem of sin. It's something that reaches in and it joins people. It was, it's telling that when the Spirit fell, it fell and people heard in their own tongues. And then it goes to a despised people group and the spirit falls upon them again. And then it goes to the Gentiles and the spirit falls upon them again. And we spoke theologically when we walked through Ephesians about how God's working to unify all things under him. And that the same act that saves us is an act that kills the enmity between people. It's something that shouldn't need to be said, but it does. Because right now, there are one of the traits of a white nationalism is it tries to take the symbols of Christianity and make them markers for its own purposes. It's why, and it doesn't simply mean that they are Christian the way they do that. It's why a leader of the alt-right can say that he's an atheist and a cultural Christian. It tries to take markers like baptism or markers like communion and use those to divide people. And that is antithetical to the gospel. It is not in step with the truth of the gospel. 
Now, the brilliance of it is if they try and do something like take communion as a marker to divide people, they're undermining themselves as they do it. Because they might look at that table and say there's a limit to what it is. They try and put a boundary around it and say, the people who take this with me, those are my people. But God says there is one table. We come to one loaf. We come to one body for salvation. And it unifies us all. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So as we come today to take communion, we are joining ourselves. We are recognizing ourselves as joined. We are already joined. We are recognizing ourselves as joined with everyone whom Christ has called. There is no other marker that divides us along those lines. We are one people called by one Savior. We have one king, one prophet, one priest, and we all share him.